Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 63. And tonight we have Daniel R. from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Daniel, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're doing well. It's uh, been a hell of a week so far. Really trying to cram everything into Q1 at work. And it has been just a ride for me this week. So I'm very excited to get back to my roots and kind of calm my mind a little bit with your episode. And I know you're going to be touching on the episode title being Party Monster and your experience with what that really means. But before we get into that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm a business owner here in New Mexico. I run uh, Susia Productions. Uh, So I do um, event promoting and producing of shows here um in albuquerque and in new mexico in general well my story kind of starts off from when i was younger a big part of it was you know northern new mexico very family root kind of base and alcohol was always a part of my life just always seen it around i distinctly remember the first time i ever had a drink uh it was at a party for you know one of the family members birthdays and one of the family members told me, go grab me a beer from the cooler, go over there, grab the beer, hand it off to them. They take one drink and they're like, here, you go ahead and have the rest. So just go running to the back and like bragging off to my guns. I got my beer, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was a Budweiser at that. So like ever since then, I, I can't drink Budweiser. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, just kind of always had that kind of presence around my life. Always um, part of the park monster, you know what I mean? <laughs> So it was ingrained in me. And, you know, after moving uh, to Albuquerque from the small town in northern New Mexico, you know, having the opportunity with, you know, getting to a bigger city got really exciting, going out, hanging out with friends while in high school. New Mexico is one of those states where DWIs, uh, different um, legal matters like that tend to happen quite frequent. so it wasn't anything that was jarring to me. It was just something that was actually part of everyday life for me. And it it dragged into a day-to-day routine for me to, if there's something to celebrate, drink. If there's something to commiserate about, drink. If there's something to be sad about, drink. And I was just part of the world. And it was normal. And I see that day in, day out, still when moving back. Uh, but I kind of took that with me when I graduated high school, moved out to California, get really excited. You know, I'm out there hanging out um, in in West Hollywood, having the time of my life out there, spend some time out in Vegas. Like that one was one of the crazier times of my life. I was there for a couple months for work and it was around my birthday. And I just remember, you know, getting off of work. I would be able to pay myself out in cash, go straight down to Planet Hollywood play some blackjack, drink, and then stay up pretty much all night, get back to work in the morning, and then right back at it again for almost for almost two months. Um, that was one of the moments where I was like, oh, okay, I think I need to slow it down. I have, I may be developing a problem, but never really wanted to address it as such, just because, like I said, growing up, 
that was part of life. I would just see people get home, have a drink. You know, sometimes they would just drink until they pass out and then do it again. So for me, it was normal. And then moving out to Hawaii, um, one of the first ever experiences that I had with someone that was living a sober life was with uh, my boyfriend at the time. Uh, he wouldn't drink. It was quite refreshing because he would always kind of try to balance me out to the best of his ability, even though, you know, I'm young in my early 20s, hanging around in Hawaii. I'm like, let's party. You know, we're going to the beach. We're going to all the nightclubs. Um, you know, I was living right in Waikiki. I was in the thick of it. So that's when I first started really getting into the bar scenes as far as engaging with parts of the community. For myself and for those of us in the LGBTQ community, the bars are our church. And that's where we thrive. That's where we feel safe. And that's where we have our full self-expression. And alcohol is a big part of that. Um, and so is drugs. So the readiness for that kind of party is it's, it's just there and it's kind of expected for anyone coming in so it was refreshing for me at that time to see my my boyfriend at the time be able to handle himself in those situations without having to drink and still be able to partake in it it never really struck a chord with me until i started my sobriety path now that I look back on it, I can see how much of an impact it actually did have on me and how much it's given me strength now um, in being able to do that. Um, because after, you know, we moved back from Hawaii, he moves to New Mexico with me, um, back with the family, you know, drinking, here we go again. Uh, it's just day to day, um, finding any reason to, to celebrate something um, or not. <laughs> And, you know, at that time, I was more and more comfortable with being the extrovert that I am to be able to speak to people, to be able to engage with people, to realize that I can have, I can have a presence within a community to be able to start throwing my own parties. You know, why am I paying to go to these events when I could just throw my own and get paid to party? And that's what happened when I started off with Susie Productions. Um, so I had my first one a little about a year and a half ago now. Um, and that was, I thought I was doing it big. You know, I was still working in corporate America, but, you know, I would be able to go out and have my party afterwards, get to host, have that energy being fed to me through my friends and my group. But then, you know, getting more and more into it, it caught up with me. I ended up getting a DWI. That was not my first one, but I wanted to be my last one. And that was very much the catalyst for me to start evaluating change in my life because in my life, I've had a lot of loss. The first uh, major loss that I had was a cousin of mine that was killed because of a DWI crash. And I remember having the conversation with my mom after I got out of jail um, back in September. And she's like, you're lucky. You, you didn't kill anyone. You're okay. So, but how stupid are you? Because we've already lost someone because of the shit that you're doing. And that had always been in the back of my mind. 
but to see the disappointment and the hurt in her face and in her voice, that is what really struck a chord to me. And I started realizing at that time that what I was doing was extremely self-destructive. I knew it. I started, I was feeling it. Um, as far as my health was concerned, everything was just starting to go more and more down. I was, I deal with depression and, and anxiety, uh, panic attacks quite frequently, and I was noticing it more and more, being more evasive in my headspace and really starting to affect relationships in my life. And once I saw where I put my mom, that's where I realized I needed to change and made it through. You know, I had the DWI in September. My birthday is in October, so I had a drink uh, on my birthday. And I realized, no, it didn't even sit right with me. It didn't feel right. It didn't bring me joy like it used to. Or at least I, like I thought it would used to bring me joy. It's it's not that anymore. My joy now through sobriety is coming through building relationships and making people proud. And I noticed after, you know, stopping everything that my productions are getting better. And it made me also realize too, that if I wanted, because for the longest time, Cynthia Productions was just, was just a, a novelty. It was an idea that I had to go ahead and have these parties, but I always wanted to turn it into an actual business, but I was never doing anything about it. So after getting sober, I was able to go ahead and get the LLC started up. Um, I'm a complete legit business at this point. Um, you know, I already have, I'm working with clients that were friends of mine that are actually part of the community that I've been working with. And the responsibility level that I have when it comes to my shows is on a whole different level. I never realized how much of a liability I was being to the people that attended my parties, to the bars that I was working at, um, to the people after leaving the bar, those, you know, binges after, you know, it'd be a couple days after the party. I'm still going, I'm on that high. I have a responsibility to my friends, to the vendors, to the venues, to, to be sober. This is a job for me at this point. And I wouldn't show up to any other job drunk or, or high or anything like that. So I had to really sit down and make time for myself. So that way I can actually appreciate what a blessing it is, what an opportunity is that I have in front of me, which came with a lot of a lot of questions that I wasn't ready to answer to people because I didn't feel like I owed anyone an answer. And the embarrassment that comes with, you know, having a DWI. Um, but I've learned to deal with a lot of that through, through humor. I try to make people laugh as much as possible. That's why I like hosting uh, my events because I'm able to interact with the crowd, have fun with them. Um, but being able to use not to make fun of the situation, but to use humor as a way to be able to speak about my situation in a positive light has had such great ramifications with those in my circle. Because my journey after listening to, you know, I listen to pretty much every podcast of you guys. Honestly, I don't do AA, I don't do um, NA, any of those things. Um, I do go to counseling. 
But when I hear you guys talk about needing a meeting and stuff like that, honestly, I turn on your podcast. That's what's helping me get through it. Within within this journey, I, I have to I have to really thank you guys a lot for this because in order for me to continue doing what I'm doing, I, I have to be honest about it and I have to be honest with the people in my circle. And when I was saying that my journey is different, um, I've heard a lot of times on the podcast that, you know, people that are still using, people that are still partying are no longer of a lot of people's lives that are going through a sober journey. I don't have that luxury because of what I've chosen to do. But I've been able to use this as an opportunity for me to, one, see how I used to be and see that when I'm at these parties and I see the people that are inebriated, they're running around having the time of their life, but then they're also getting messy. I'm like, I'm not being messy. I'm able to reflect and actually leave uh, being proud of myself. Um, currently, right now, I still have the interlock in my car. You know what I mean? So I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's there. It's an, it might be an inconvenience, but I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about, you know, failing a UA because I know that I'm doing all the right things for myself. And then every conversation that I have um, with individuals that are at my parties, you know, even like, you know, just the vendors, the, the entertainers, you know, the general manager for the, for the location that I primarily work at, being able to hear them give me the kudos and seeing the difference from how I was to how I am now is what really gives me a driving force to continue. And it's also allowed for my friendships and my circle to grow stronger. And I'm no longer afraid to or embarrassed to talk about what my truth is, what my journey is, and being able to see how it's also affected other people's journey. And, you know, I have friends that are that are wanting to jump along now. And so my sober circle is starting to grow because of me being honest about it and being truthful about it. That's awesome, Daniel. And I related so much to it. I mean, technically on the books, I have two and a half DUIs. Um, that half is a technicality that I got in North Dakota, but I'm right there with you. I can't believe that I don't have more. I can't believe that I'm not in jail right now. I can't believe that I didn't kill someone or someone else. And just that feeling of never really wanting to address it. I came out, I went straight into the bar scene. That's how I knew to be a gay man through the bar and club scene. And the access to drugs and alcohol is so easy, so easy that my biggest question for you is how do you stay sober having so much access to whatever you want knowing that drugs and alcohol plague the club scene and i know that you know you don't do aa you don't do na and and we're a recovery podcast we really don't push any type of program and you were talking a little bit about building relationships with with different people and I just want to know, like, what are some of the specific things that you do to stay sober? Because you have, what, over 100 days now, right? Yeah. So for me, what it was, was my original circle that I had that I used to party with and everything. Um, they're still in my life. They're still a big part of my life. 
but sitting down with them and letting them know that, hey, look, this is what I'm wanting to do. This is the path that I'm going to be taking. So with that, I need you to help hold me accountable for my actions. Because I know for a fact that there's going to be a time when I'm feeling weak. I know there's going to be a time when, in fact, it would be convenient to. So in those moments, I need you to help keep me strong and tell me no. So I found the right people to keep as part of my circle. And if I don't have a, one of those individuals that will be there with me, then I'm not going to go. Because I can't trust myself to do it on my own. Because what's one thing I've always noticed too, um, listening to the podcast or anyone that's going through this journey is that you can't do it alone. So I have to have those honest conversations with them. I even have conversations with them too about, I'm feeling good now, I'm doing well. Do I see myself drinking in the future? I don't know. Would I like to sit down with my mentor one of these days and sit down like we used to and have a glass of, of whiskey and smoke a cigar and just talk like how we used to? Yeah, I would love that. But what would the consequences of that be for me? So one thing that I've always loved from the first time I heard it on y'all's podcast uh, was the um, second and third conversation. And that really resonated with me. So because the first conversation in my head is I could do this. You know, I'm not having to go through all this, you know, different classes and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm being successful at it doesn't mean that it, I wouldn't benefit from it. But right now, I'm just thinking, you know, that's that's where ego can get in the way for myself. Be like, well, if I can do this, you know, without, you know, without any of this kind of stuff. But then I have to reflect, I have a I have a support system. I have people in my life that are going to hold me accountable. And that's what I had to do. Because if I do have that one drink, is it really just going to be that one drink? Most likely not. At least it wasn't with me. That one drink turned into not just two or three, but like 15 or 16 and then it turned into drugs and then I was either in handcuffs or in a fight or something like that. You talked about building relationships and having these conversations with the people close to you and saying to some of them, I need you to help keep me accountable. So my question to you is, do you receive any stigma or have you been faced with any stigma for being a sober party promoter? I thought I would. Honestly, I, I really thought that it would affect my my business. But it's been the opposite. Because of the way that I've been able to navigate it for myself and the way I've been honest about it. I use social media regularly. Like I my if you follow me on social media, you know everything that's going on in my life. I am very transparent with everything that's going on with me. And I feel that with doing that, I've been able to overcome that stigma for a lot of people and letting them know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to to have those down days, to be to struggle and to want to make a change. And people have responded very well to that. Of course, there's a few people here and there that are like, oh, oh you're a quitter. When are you going to come back and party again? Like, for example, I have, um, I own a pageant as well. So I have my pageant coming up now in February and it's a Susia pageant. So Susia means dirty, you know, it's a word for volatility. We're crazy. Last year's pageant, I was just, I was three sheets to the wind, just running around, going nuts. And then I was like, oh, are we going to bring back Papa Susia for, for the pageant coming up? I'm like, oh, 
You know, I I don't plan I don't plan on being that Papa Six guy. But I could still I could still be me. You know, I don't. They notice that I'm still crazy without it. I can still have fun without it. Um, but it's those little hints of them wanting me to to come back to how I used to be. But I had to have those conversations with those individuals, especially those that are close to me. Like, oh, that's that's not who I want to be anymore. I don't. That's I don't need that to be the fun, outgoing Daniel. And I don't miss the hangovers. I don't miss the binges. I don't miss waking up in the morning feeling like, what the hell did I just do last night or this past weekend? Who did I offend? Who did I piss off? What what pot did I stir? I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can go out and genuinely enjoy my time with the people in my safe space of the bars with my with my circle and with my extended family, my chosen family, and know that one, I took care of myself, I took care of them, and I took care and handled every situation with a clear head. Most people go through this of, they're always scared of what people are gonna think. And then the reality is 99% of people are very supportive of growth, you know, in any form. And the people that aren't supportive usually, you know, are there for a reason or a season. And it's usually a season, right? Because they're not growing in their own self. I was following your story of how you got here. And it was very similar, you know, growing up, partying, uh, the normalization of alcohol. I got a DWI in college. And I remember that night vividly. Like I was called, I called my mother like hysterical. And even in that night, I was like, Oh, I drive down the one way all the time. And like looking back, you know, I blew a 0.29. Like I should have gotten the DUI. And I really enjoy how you did say that most people are supportive. And along with that, I was talking this week with uh, my mother and a few other people about how there's kind of a culture shift and alcohol free and how alcohol is a little more dangerous and you know, going out and not having to be shit-faced, right? Do you notice that culture shift? And is that helping your with you with your 100 days? Uh, how is that, how are you seeing that navigate through the club scene? It absolutely has helped me. I think a lot of it has to do with actually just being present finally. Because for a lot of the times that, you know, going out before, I wasn't really paying attention to what the hell was going on because I was in my own little world. I was, I was just twirling, but now being present and being able to see everything that's going on, being able to engage in a headstrong kind of space, it's, it's, it's helped out so much. And it, it's helping me identify a lot of triggers that I, that I didn't notice that I had. Um, and which was really interesting for me when I when I started identifying these things that that I never even knew were a trigger. Just just being present is is probably the best gift that I gave myself through sobriety, and being able to see not as not once again not judging anyone for what they do, but seeing what I don't want to be because of how certain people act, and being proud of who I continue to grow to be. You know, Chris. 
when you were talking about the move towards that sober nightlife, I remember getting an email from a club in Philadelphia that said, now opening, and I forget the name of the club, but it said, we're a sober nightclub. Don't sell alcohol. It's just people who want to come and hang out. And I think you're absolutely right that more options like that are becoming more regular. And it's not even necessarily just for people that are sober. It's people who want to go and just dance, which I never understood. I never understood dancing sober. I, I couldn't do any of that stuff sober. And I remember the first time that I went out to a club and I was sober. I was with a bunch of friends. And like for the first like 15 to 20 minutes, I was like, I feel so awkward right now. I don't know what to do. I had to have a Red Bull in my hand because like that's what I was used to. And and But Daniel, as you were talking about your life and going from being in the club scene as the party monster and being the one who was high or drunk and like you said, just running around twirling to still being in that scene as a sober person reminds me that we are not a glum lot, as the big book says. I can have a full life without drugs and alcohol. I can go out and have my friends. I can go out and go dancing. I can go out and live life. And now, like you were talking about, I remember it. I'm aware of the life that I'm living because I'm not fucked up. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing because it just allows me to live life more fully, for it's sure. It's an absolute blessing. It really is. And people seeing that, that it's possible. Because I can tell you right now, there are a bunch of people that are in my life that are shocked that I am doing this. Because they would have never expected me to be the one to do it. Because I was that much in the game. And for me to be able to sit there at the bar, on the mic, entertaining everyone, and running around, doing my damn job, while engaging with everyone, that's huge for me and for a lot of people in my life that never thought that I would be able to do that. And I've had conversations with friends of mine now that are like, I want to do that. And so we're creating our own sober community within our community. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm not the only one. I wasn't the first one. I'm not going to be the last one to do this. But if we all are open and are able to communicate what our future plans are, what we want, we can stick together and we can get it done. Yeah, to follow up on that, you were talking about your growth and not to quote the big book again, but the liquor is but, but a symptom. And uh, you were talking about some of these triggers that you've identified recently. What... What have you identified are your biggest triggers? And I guess, uh, what are the tools you use to, you know, combat those, I guess, besides um, going out with people? Well, I mean, gay culture, right? Hookup culture. That was, that was very much triggering because it was self-deprecating for me. I've, I've realized that. Papa Susia, everyone thinks, oh, he's a big old ho, just running around doing all kinds of stuff, right? That was triggering for me. I would I would find myself in 
you know, relations that, that wouldn't be conducive for what I needed to be doing in my life. So that was a huge trigger. So another one is those bathroom breaks, the, the going outside breaks, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff that would that usually lead to me doing something I shouldn't be doing, um, whether it be drugs, hookup, things like that. You know what I mean? And how I deal with those now is just, I feel like I'm able to have better, more substantial conversations with individuals as far as when I meet someone uh, for the first time that I may think is attractive or, you know, I have a connection with, I'm able to actually intellectually identify is this going to be something that's conducive with my sobriety or is this going to be something that's conducive with my mental health because that's one thing that I really needed to focus on the most is I was I was using these as opportunities to to numb and to try to forget about what was going on within my head or in my heart but now I'm able to have those second and third conversations with myself to be able like if I do this, then this will be the, the consequence. I'm able to realize and set boundaries for myself within those types of relationships, you know, um, not having to take those smoke breaks, those, you know, bathroom breaks or, you know, go to the car for a meeting or for an office meeting or I'm able to center myself, stay in that moment, find someone that I need that's part of my circle. And be like, oh, hey, let's, you know, let's go have a cigarette real quick because I'm I'm feeling some sort of type of way and just focus myself again, recenter. That's one thing that I said before, and I'll say it again, is those second and third conversations are huge for me. And that's something that I've been making sure that I have with myself because I've never had those before. So you talk about centering yourself. You talk about building relationships and that's external. And part of my recovery is something that I never had in my life before. And that was a higher power. And so I'm interested to know if you have a higher power or if you've identified that or what your thoughts are on connecting to something greater than yourself. I've always been a very spiritual person. And I was raised Roman Catholic, very involved within the church. Um, but at a young age, I found that spirituality was more for me. Um, you know, I've, I've always, uh, been really proud of myself that I was, I, I took the opportunity when I was in my teenage years to learn about as many religions as possible and identify, you know, the common theme with everything. Um, it, there is a higher power in my, in my opinion, and it may not be God, Yahweh, you know, any sort of fixed name. But for me, the, the higher power is, it's all around you. It's, it's engaging with every, with everything in your life. Um, and the way that I communicate with my higher power is, is through just open conversation, um, you know, be it within my mind um mantras meditating journaling is a big part because i feel like that's an open hand letter between me and my my higher power and what i find is when i go into it with that type of mindset and i'm journaling as if i'm speaking to my higher power the questions that i'm asking get answered within just an open hand writing 
And that's my communication. That's how I'm able to ground myself, to center myself. Um, one of one of my mantras that I always use was taught to me by um, this wonderful woman named Carol, who was a clairvoyant, um, who actually helped me <clears throat> um, when I was in my teens, because I, you know, I do palm tarot readings, all that kind of stuff. She was helping me with that craft. Um, she taught me this and it sticks with me. I use it every day. I used it several times today because I've had, I've, today was one of those rough days where I was having massive panic attacks. And I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to make this because I was that bad prior to this. But that mantra is, I release all the things that are not for my highest good. And that has got me through so much. Because before learning that, it was trying to release negative energy but there's certain negative energy that you need to have as part of you because that's what helps you grow that's what helps you you know it's just like a like you know bacteria there's a certain type of bacteria that's that's a bad bacteria good bacteria but it, it all helps the organism grow so that's why i always rely on the mantra i release all the energy that is not for my highest good and that gets me through so much that's a good way of connecting to whatever anyone's higher power is and really be able to focus on if you're leading this charge or if your higher power is, and that can really steer you in the right direction most of the time. One thing that I just want to comment on that is I love that you were talking about how there's good energy and bad energy. And so my higher power is energy. And so when you were talking about everything around me, I connected those dots. And when you said that good energy and bad energy have to live within each other, sometimes I just kept thinking about the yin and the yang symbol and how energy is energy. And sometimes I think it's bad energy, but it's most likely just energy that I don't understand. And so that was really enlightening for me. So I appreciate that. It's like that, uh, the farmer thing. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Farmer and his son have a horse and the horse runs away and the son goes, oh, that really stinks. You know, that's horrible. And the dad goes, maybe. And then the next day, um, the, the horse comes back and they have six more horses with him. And then the son goes, oh, that's amazing. And the dad goes, oh, maybe. And then the six horses end up eating all their crops and he goes, oh, that really stinks. And he goes, maybe. And then the he goes to like capture a horse or something and he ends up breaking his back on the horse. And everyone in town comes over and is like, oh, that's horrible, that stinks. And the dad goes, maybe. And then the next day, like the, um, the government comes and they're recruiting for a war. And he's like, my son can't go. He's got a broken back. And, he, and, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. Your son, and it just keeps on going. So, you know, sometimes you don't know where, what the energy is. You just have to kind of go with it. <laughs> I haven't heard that before, but I like that. because And for me, too, like, the, the biggest thing about, I don't have the, the knowledge that my higher power has for me to be able to identify what is bad and good energy and to discern that, you know, for myself. Because what I would think, like you said, maybe what I might think is a negative uh, or a bad energy is the one that I need to learn the most from. And that turns into that good energy. 
and it's that lesson that that drives you forward. So no, I love that story. I I never heard that one before. Um, we always end this show with one question, and that's if you can give one piece of advice to a newcomer. And you know what? I love that you have a hundred days. Uh, that's early in sobriety for you or for some people. But you know what? It's a lifetime for some other people. So I'm really happy that somebody can have this advice. But what's one piece of advice you can give to somebody early in their sobriety? For me, it would be communicate, communicate, and be be honest in your communication because that honest conversation needs to start with you first before you can start having it with other people to help you in this journey. Because what I always noticed for myself was that I would lie to myself so that way I didn't have to address it with other people to hold myself accountable. Once I stopped lying to myself, I was able to have those more honest conversations to not come up with those excuses for me not to do what I am supposed to do. I absolutely love that because I hated it so much that concept of rigorous honesty just pissed me off so fucking much and it wasn't until i started getting rigorously honest and then sharing my wants needs desires fears anxiety with other people that i was able to get to where i am today and i have to keep doing those things from when i was first sober because if i don't everything's going to fall apart. House of cards. Well, thank you, Daniel. We really appreciate your time tonight. It was really great to have you on. Congratulations on your hundred plus days. And thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you guys so much. It was definitely an honor. I can't thank you guys enough. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.